Welcome to the Decades of Strength podcast. We are Kim, Marcy, and Katie. We are three women on one mission. We are obsessed with empowering women to gain confidence, build strength, and ditch feelings of unworthiness. So grab your chair, come sit at our table, and let's talk. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Decades of Strength podcast. This is Marcy. I will be hosting this week. And as always, I have with me Kim and Katie. How are you, ladies? Hi, Marce. Hi, Katie. Hi, ladies. I'm great. How are you? Doing Good. well. Kim, let's start with you because you had a little weekend adventure, didn't you? I did. I keep, I've been traveling more than I've been home recently. Um, my sister had a special religious ceremony she wanted me to come to. So I flew to, to Tennessee to be there for that. And it, in a weird coincidence, one of my best friends from here in Pennsylvania just bought a lake house this summer right near my mom. And so, the, and they were going to be there that weekend. And so um, my mom drove me up about, you know, the hour and 50 minutes to my friend's house. And then I spent two days up at her new lake house, which was just heavenly. Beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. So I can't remember, are you from Philadelphia? Yes. I was born and raised right here, like 15 minutes from where I'm at now. Okay. And then your parents moved to Tennessee. My mom eventually ended up in Tennessee. So my mom was like long time, like never left this area. But after my dad passed away, she remarried somebody who lived in the West and has a business. So they lived in Utah. They always end up in really rural places because he works with farmers. And so they lived in Eastern Utah, then they lived in Southern Utah, and now they live in Tennessee. Well, you learn something new every day because I had no idea. Yeah, no, but she's she's from here. Okay, and Tennessee is a beautiful place. I I love it there. I really do. It's pretty, it's just, it's really different. It's different from where I'm at now, but I I like it a lot. Yes. Well, nice that you have the ability to go and visit two people now. Yes. (laughs) And your son is in Utah. Like you have some great states to visit. Like that's really nice to have. It's fantastic. Yeah. Katie, how are you? It's funny. You know, when you first asked that uh, at the beginning of the podcast, my first reply was I'm great. And like, if I'm being honest, I'm not great. And I realize this is, this is, this doesn't need to turn into, you know, Katie's therapy session, but isn't that interesting how like our go-to is I'm great. And I mean, it's probably, it's like a knee jerk response. That means nothing. Yeah. Right. Well, and I mean, out of courtesy for most people, I am just going to say I'm great because they don't need to hear everything, (laughs) but you know, in the context of what we do and say and share here, um, you know what? I'm not great. I'm, I'm feeling definitely underwater a little bit. I'm stressed out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm building my project, my book right now, which is so fulfilling and fun, but you know, it's that harmony that we've talked about where it's like, with yes to these things, I'm saying no to other things. And the no's currently are leaving me a little bit depleted. Mm. My parents are coming over for dinner tonight. And I know after we're done recording, I don't have time to do all of the rest of the work I have, pick up my children and get dinner ready. So I'm like, I'm going to throw a quick chili into the, into the crock pot. I have 15 minutes, no problem. I'm rushing through it. I had too much coffee. I'm shaky. I dump the meat that I just browned and was trying to drain entirely into the sink. And I even had a moment where I was like, do I scoop this out and just eat it? Like, that's where my head is right now. Like what? Well, how clean was the sink? I would totally go there. Totally. I would, I had some raw chicken in there pre prior and it was not clean. So with that, I will be starting over. I will find something else, or I will just go to Costco and get like a build your own meal and have that. But in like, in the moment I was like, tipping point, like red flags everywhere. Stop what you're doing back away from the kitchen, handle it later. So, um, you know, chances of calling your parents and being like, Hey guys, you want to stop and grab dinner on the way? Exactly. (laughs) And, and that would be fine too. But you know, that of course would be fine, but that's Kim. That is not who I am. Like I Mm -hmm. am the person who really wants to make the meal and really wants to present the meal and have it be an experience. And this is, this is one of my things, right? Like I have a hard time letting go of food presentation and it's my love language. I know I've said this before. And so I will go to extremes to 
present what I want. And because this is just my thing. Now, if this was like my room parent duties and it was creating a Halloween project for my second graders class, I would be off at Target buying something pre-made, right? But Mm -hmm. for my family and for this experience, I'm like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss something else to make this happen. And that's just the the way I choose to, you know, put my energy out there. I I can relate to all of that because for a very long time, I would say mid-20s to early thirties. I'm 37 now. So maybe up until a couple of years ago, I was the same way. I had to do everything when it came to the food and the cooking and the baking and, you know, not to toot my own horn. Well, I am going to toot it. Uh, I, I'm a good baker. <laughs> no problem I'm a, with that. Yeah. You know, I'm a do good it. baker. I think I've told the story on the podcast that I, because again, Marcy has to be seen and validated and be in control. Uh, for my wedding, I, made all of the desserts for like 220 yes, plus people. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, you know, up in like, up in, or, um, I had frosting, like up to my elbows the night before my wedding, you know, mm-hmm. still trying to frost cakes and, uh, but that's what I wanted to do. And I mean, just the, the things that I used to get done in my twenties, when I was still working at the gym, you know, really early in the morning until late at night, and just running around like crazy, trying to do stuff. I can't, it exhausts me even thinking about it. And while I still have those thoughts, they definitely come in like, oh, I want to control the situation. I want to be in charge. I'll never forget for Thanksgiving one year, my cousin brought an apple pie. She didn't tell me she was going to bring it. And I about flipped my shit. (laughs) Because I was like, uh, no, dessert is my thing. I didn't really say this to her. It was like an internal battle, but I was so upset. And I was like having a hard time being nice to her that night because (laughs) don't you know that dessert is my thing? Like, let me be the star of the show for a second. Uh, And that all went back to, you know, like low self-worth issues, validation issues where I needed that to, to feel good about myself. So I totally understand Katie. And maybe that's not the reason that you do it is more of a love language thing. And I think for me, it's a love language as well. I like to see other people get joy from what I am preparing, Mm -hmm. but I will be honest. There's a little bit selfishness underlying that as well. Yeah. I think part of it certainly is external validation. And that's something I've really had to separate myself from in a lot of different things. And then there's also the role that we take on, right? Just based on maybe how we grew up or where we are within our family or sphere of influence. For instance, I feel like it is my role to take care of people. And I think part of that stems from the fact that I grew up as an oldest child. There was some turmoil in my family when I was young. We certainly were in therapy. There were a lot of struggles and understanding who we were and and how we could relate together as a family. And, you know, we can certainly go into, into that, but I emerged really feeling like I needed to take care of people and do that to the point that I would let myself go before I would let something else fall that may affect someone else or someone else's perception of me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if that does that. And do you guys feel like you have roles that you sort of established in a, in a former life for like the first third of your life, you had a role in some way that you're still trying to either fulfill or step away from at this point. I don't think I had a role because I'm not technically an only child, but I have a half brother who is 16 years older and he lived with us for the majority of my childhood. I think he moved out when he was 30. So I was 14. I didn't see much of him, but I don't feel like I was ever having to take care of somebody. So that's a good question. I don't know what my role is. And maybe that's the thing is maybe I don't, didn't feel like I had a role mm-hmm. and mm. I, I lived in, so my core wound is that I've always felt like I've lived in other people's shadows. So, um, my mom's side of the family, I have a cousin who is a couple years younger and they live out in Texas, but we would see each other once a year uh, at our beach house. So the whole family would get together and he is a comedian, not like a literal comedian, but he is very funny, very outgoing. And he would always be cracking jokes and people would just, you know, laugh and, oh, Aaron, you're so funny. You know, And then like, it's Marcy's over here and no one even asks about me. Uh, and then that's, you know, carried on into adulthood when I was married, you know, same thing with my ex-husband. He was very gregarious, very outgoing, funny. And so people paid a lot of attention to him. 
And then my now ex-boyfriend, you know, he was this like big power lifter. And it's like, oh my gosh, like, look how strong you are. Like how much weight did you lift this week? Like that kind of stuff. And no one, like literally no one would even ask about me. Like, Hey Marcy, how are you? Like, how's your business going? And so I just felt like I blended in, like no one cared. And so uh, my, the way that I got that validation again was one by trying to control how my body looks, because if I look a certain way, then people are going to be like, Oh, you're so in shape. You're so fit. Uh, and then also by, by doing things. So, mm. yeah. And it worked until it didn't, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm, so yeah. What about you, Kim? I feel like you guys just have a lot more introspection on yourselves than I might, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what I said. I think both of what you're saying is certainly common things. I've heard these things. Um, yeah, I don't know if there was a certain role. I, I know that I've been in therapy a bunch, guys. I'll, t- <laughs> I'll tell you that. And I definitely feel like I'm in a better place mentally now um, than I've ever been. But it's been a lot of work. Mm-hmm. A lot of work. Well, and that's the topic of today's discussion is mental health. So no, last week was nice and lighthearted. So we're getting into the good stuff, <laughs> uh, just teeing up this one, but it is a very important topic to discuss because I think whether we want to admit it or not, we all struggle with mental health in some capacity, whether it's the things that we were just talking about, or it is, so, you know, comparison, not feeling good enough, um, trying to keep up with societal norms and the pressure that that creates, or even if you have a diagnosed or maybe undiagnosed mental condition, so depression, anxiety, uh, to name a few, you know, it's something that not everyone wants to talk about because Mm -hmm. it's a big issue. And I think, you know, there is a lot of, for lack of a better word, you know, shame associated with it because we always feel like we have to be strong and stoic and have our stuff together. And, and I know I certainly fall into that trap, uh, as, as a coach, because it's like, okay, I'm here supporting other people. So they can't see me sweat. I have to you know be holding stuff down and holding that space for other people. So sometimes you feel like you have to keep your own internal battles, like inside. Um, and that can really eat away at you. I mean, I know it caused physical issues for me in terms of my health. Um, and, and then just, again, like the mental side as well. So we want to bring light to this very serious topic so that if you are someone who feels like you do struggle with your mental health, whatever it looks like, know that you are not alone and we just want to open up the conversation. So Kim, I'm going to start with you and you had said that you have been in therapy multiple times. Yeah. Um, what does that look like? Or what so, did that look like? um, anxiety has been a defining feature of my life and it continues to be today. Interestingly, not as much with me, but with close family members. Um, but it has been just my perpetual struggle. And I didn't know until after I'd had my kids with each of my three children, I suffered from postpartum depression and it wasn't until with my third child, it was very bad. So with my daughter, my postpartum depression was very bad. And I went to therapy. I had medicine for the first time. And that's when they started me on medication for that. And what I realized, so I was 35 at the time, was a couple months into weeks, months into taking this medicine. It occurred to me one day, like I stopped what I was doing and noticed that there was quiet in my brain. Mm. And it wasn't until like I had felt that quiet and sensed it. It actually, it still makes me tear up. Like I started crying because I was 35 and I always had this noise in my brain of anxiety and it was very loud. And I worried so much about everything. And during my postpartum periods, there were times when it was close to OCD. Like one of the therapists said, you know, because like there was one day I I just really felt I couldn't dress my my son, my new son in orange because if he was in orange, like somebody would see him and like, take him or shoot him. Like it was like this compulsive, like it was really, and like, even that, like I went through without medication. I just did therapy for that. I don't know what my deal was with medicine. I think it was anxiety. And my son deals with that. Now, one of his, his pieces of anxiety is he doesn't like taking medicine. So when I was 35, I started taking um, anxiety medicine, medicine for depression, and it really flipped a switch in my brain just to help me see what was possible. Like it was possible to live in a way that was way clearer and easier than I had ever lived before. 
And then I did a lot of therapy around then. And then a few years later, again, about the anxiety, I have not been on anti-anxiety medicines for a good long time. And I can't, I wish I could remember why I stopped or how I stopped knowing myself. I'm going to guess it was just like, I ran out of medicine one time and I felt good or something. I honestly don't know, but I have it very much under control now. It's not perfect. Um, menopause has exacerbated my panic attacks. Um, it's been a while since I had, I thought I was going to start one last week. I was close. Um, I can talk myself down once I sense them now, but it was about two years ago. I had the worst one of my life in a public place. And like my, I, my friend is my doctor and I called her and she was trying to talk me out of it and help me. And she was getting concerned enough. She was going to have me call an ambulance. Um, mm. my, my family was in the theater and had no idea. I was sitting on some steps in a lobby and there was no one around. So my mental health isn't perfect, but it's way better than it's ever been. I remember that story. I had forgotten yeah. about it, but it goes to show that you never know what somebody else is going through because Kim, from an outsider's perspective, I thought you had your shit together. I thought like Kim doesn't struggle with anything. Like, look mm -hmm. at her. Funny. Is <laughs> it funny? I'll, yeah. I'll never forget. I will never forget. This was, I mean, probably a couple of years ago now, and you and I got on the phone to talk about something, what the topic was, I don't remember. It was business related and you opened up to me about this. So, and I was like, I had no clue. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it just, yeah, it's definitely not something people assume because you know, we all put our best face forward and on social mm -hmm. media, and whatnot, but I have talked about it openly. Like I have several posts about, um, panic attacks and anxiety, um, I think I talked about that one I just shared about, because I do think it's important for other people, one, to recognize like, hey, wait, that sounds like me. This is an actual thing I'm suffering with. Or two, just to realize that, you know, not everybody does have their crap together because we can beat ourselves up with that stick, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, I was on a couple of podcasts earlier this week, and it's funny because both of them asked me the same question, which I've never been asked on a podcast. And it was, what is something that people don't know about you? And I had to rack my brain. It's like, I have no idea. I am the most uninteresting person. I really am. So I think with Chris, I said, I'm an introvert. Like how lame is that? But I think I can come off maybe as, um, you know, outgoing when I'm recording or on stories, but, or even, you know, if you see meet me in person, when in reality, I could stay in my cave with my dog all day long and be mm. perfectly content. <laughs> but I think the other thing I would say is that I too, and I do not like to say I struggle with anxiety because I think whatever you put after the word I, or I am becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Your mm -hmm. words have power. Your brain believes everything the brain and your body believes everything that you say. So I try to reframe that and say, you know, I experience mm. anxiety from time to time. And I feel like that takes the, the power away from that very heavy feeling, but mm. it is, you know, my anxiety, it's very much circumstantial and it started definitely in my early twenties when I started to deal with those health issues that I didn't know, you know, where they were coming from, what they were. And I'll, I will never forget. It was the week before I was going to graduate from high school, or excuse me, college. And I was on the step mill, just like I had been every day. And all of a sudden my chest got so tight and I could not breathe. And it was terrifying. And that feeling went on for weeks. So I finally went to the ER and told them the situation. Oh, I'm going to be graduating next week. You know, here's what's going on. They're like, yeah, it's stress. Here's a, you know, sedative or whatever. And so I think I remember kind of like rolling my eyes. I was like, yeah, this is not stress. Like I get it. Stress can have these effects, but I just did not buy into it. Mm -hmm. And I took the medication. It didn't do a damn thing. And I found out later that it was actually a symptom of acid reflux, which oh. makes a lot of sense because I struggled with gut issues for a very long time, which I now believe wholeheartedly was the, um, the result of repressed emotions. So things that I didn't like about myself, things that I wanted to say to other people that I was holding in because we live in a polite society and we don't want to ruffle the feathers. We want to keep the peace. And I think that literally like ate away at me um, mm -hmm. and caused all of these chronic health issues. So I did realize that that was the reason I was having what felt like 
a panic attack. And that was the start of my health anxiety. Oh, I have a heart problem. I'm going to die. And it is so scary when you feel like you can't breathe. I mean, Kim, you know, <laughs> it's like, okay, this is the end. And I would, I would have that when I was driving, there were times when I felt like I was going to pass out when I was driving. And I don't know exactly what that was coming from. Um, but once I started take the, taking the anti, excuse me, the acid reflux medication, it all went away. But then I was dealing with other things after that. So all of these weird symptoms, and I diagnosed myself with like every condition in the book. So it took years away from my life. You know, my, I would say that some of the best years of my life, my twenties and my thirties or what you think are <laughs> can also be the hardest, um, you know, because I was living with chronic health anxiety. And then now I don't feel the health anxiety anymore, but it's more about, okay, like business or things like that. Because when you work for yourself and, you know, you're the only person <laughs> that you have to rely on, that can be scary sometimes. So I will wake up in the morning and the anxiety just like hits hard and nothing triggers it. It's just there. So I choose not to take medication. And like you said, Kim, I definitely have tools to manage it and to not stay in that place for very long. So I am fortunate that my anxiety is not crippling and I am what I call like, I'm able to do moment to moment shifting. So when it comes in, I notice it, like I forgive myself for the thought, I choose to think something else. And then I do something to put me back in my power to take action. Cause like one of my mantras is action over anxiety. And then it's like, go, I don't, I know that it's not that easy for some people. They do need to take medication. They do need to seek out therapy, but there are tools which we can certainly get into. So yeah. I ask you a question, Marcy, and even Kim. I, so my experience with anxiety is never physical, but it sounds like for both of you, you have physical symptoms that you can point to sort of arising. They manifest in your body in a way that you can like name them. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Mine is a sensation in my chest, like a fluttering in my chest. Okay. What's yours, Kim? Uh, gosh, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, you know, I'll be shaky. There's definitely like a when you're having a panic attack, it can very much feel like a heart attack. And so, you know, sometimes it's chest stuff. I can't breathe properly. Um, I just generally don't feel well. I can, when it gets really bad. Cause then I, when I, when I start having a panic attack, I'm really not breathing very well. And then I get dizzy and I feel like I'm going to pass out. Like it really can feed into itself. So yes, it's a very mm -hmm. physical sensation for me. Um, but I will say the low level anxiety that can kind of, that's not part of a panic attack just often feels like um, just con constant, like upset, you know, thoughts that just won't stop about all, you know, and just like that intense stress kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's definitely, it is a physical sensation in my chest, but how it manifests in me is that rumination. So mm -hmm. I had a, I had a client when I worked with people in person who was an internist and bless her heart, you know, she would always have to hear me bitch and moan about my health issues. And I would, what she would call pole vault. So she's like, Marcy, you're here right now. And you're pole vaulting into the future and nothing has happened yet. And that really is what anxiety is mm -hmm. worrying about something that has not yet happened. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, very well might not happen. Most of the things that I had anxiety about did not come to fruition. Um, so that's why, you know, it's really important to notice those thoughts and then choose ones that are more helpful to bring you back to the present moment where right now you are safe, you know, you are in control. Um, but it can be, it can be hard to do. So yeah, mm -hmm. for me, it's like the catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kate, what about you? So I think one of the challenges I faced with anxiety and mental health is that nothing really manifests itself until it's bubbling over until it's like past the point of no return. And there's not a lot of warning for me. It's just one day I, I kind of have a meltdown and I don't understand it. And usually I didn't know this until recently. In fact, I'm, I'm beginning to suspect that like the second, or maybe like the two thirds part of your life, the latter part of life is about learning to let go of all this crap. Like we've feverishly collected in, in an effort to feel like, you know, we understand life, but really isn't loving or human at all. And I'm, and I'm getting to that point where I'm like, okay, 
I've been telling myself all of these things, but like, what's really going on? And I'm starting to see that when I would get those feelings of, of just melting down, it was always because I was seeking approval, control, security, oneness from places outside myself. I was, I was outsourcing, um, my identity basically. And when I turned 40, I finally learned that I needed to seek all of those things internally and find them intrinsically. And I guess, Kim, this is kind of where I do get really introspective and where I spent a lot of the last two years of my life sitting with my thoughts on this because I've never done it prior. And it's been hugely rewarding and, and gratifying in a way to um, understand how I can find myself in the present to kind of redirect my, my thoughts of the past, which of course can lead to depression or thoughts of the future, which can lead to anxiety back to the present and find tools to get there. Um, because that is what is going to bring me to kind of higher level of awareness and less, um, sort of panic and reaching and like being below the line of awareness, which is you're not going to get a lot of problem solving done from that place. And that's where I lived a lot of my life until I turned 40. So I think that's really what's contributed to my instability, um, my, my mental instability, um, and trying to get to rise above that, get above the line is really sort of where I am now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know those thoughts are extremely powerful and how we perceive ourselves um, can cause a lot of inner turmoil and then lead to unhealthy coping mechanisms. So mm-hmm. if you do not have those tools at your disposal to talk you off the ledge, to bring you back to the present moment, I keep talking about that, but again, that's really where you are going to be your best self is like just in the here and now connecting to your breath and reminding yourself, I am okay. And Mm -hmm. reminding yourself like who you are, you know, um, that you are, you're whole, you're worthy, all of that. Um, I know I've shared this in the past, but a couple of uh, five or so years ago, you know, I went through the alcoholic anonymous 12 step process and not for drugs, not for alcohol, but for what my sponsor calls emotional insobriety, which essentially is being addicted to your own thoughts. So whether that Mm. is comparison, rumination, um, people pleasing, perfectionism, codependency, you know, all the stuff that I definitely struggled with as a result of, I don't want to go as far as to say like childhood trauma, but that's probably what it comes from. I think everything does you know, relate back to our childhood experiences in some capacity. Uh, and I, I had to, I had to work on that because what they say in AA is, you know, like your life becomes unmanageable. And I didn't really see it from that perspective because, you know, I felt like I had everything under control. Well, you know, look how well I do at work and look how, uh, consistent I am with my diet and my nutrition and I'm married and I like this and that. And it's like, oh no, no. (laughs) But like things were like, my thoughts were unmanageable and Mm -hmm. living in your head is a miserable place to be. If it is not healthy thoughts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Oh, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, and I, uh, I don't work with that sponsor anymore, but you know, my nutrition coach, Vince, he also has experience in the 12 step program. And he had this idea probably like a year and a half ago now that he came to me with, because he knew of my experience. He's like, I want to create something around this process for other women who are struggling because the majority of his clients were coming to him, you know, a lot of them fitness competitors. And I think that when we have those types of thoughts, when we have those beliefs about ourselves, we try to control it in other ways. So with food, with exercise, mm-hmm. um, as a way to either manage them or manage other people's thoughts or experiences like with us or about mm-hmm. us. Um, and it can be, yeah, like a very dark place and, and get you into a lot of trouble, which I know it did with me. So he was noticing that a lot of his clients who are competitors we're also coming to him with tons of health issues. So gut issues, autoimmune diseases. And he's like, this is not a, an external thing. It's an internal issue. So mm-hmm. we have to 
start to you know, create a process where you are able to manage those thoughts and emotions so they don't carry that weight. And it's, yeah, so it's a process that I have to work every single day of my life, mm -hmm. you know? So all that being said, um, we do want to talk a little bit about, oh, no, Kate, you were going to say something. Um, uh, yeah, I was going to pull out a thread of something that you had said about, um, gosh, it was something along the lines of like finding more peace, like less through like understanding and being active about it and more about like acceptance and like being with the feelings are kind of like, why are they there? Basically? Like, what is the root? What is, what is the, what is the point of this feeling? And instead of like looking at your emotion as something like a, a, a handicap or a liability, like maybe it's trying to tell you something, right? Like, and, and for me, you know, I feel like fear is a big one that has caused some mental instability for me. And that's really just my, my body, like my, my internal self telling me to be aware, to pay attention, to look out for something. Um, like sometimes sadness means I just have to let something go. Sometimes anger means like I need to establish a boundary mm -hmm. and, and getting from the idea of just trying to blunt or like tamp out or completely numb those emotions um, to actually pausing and like wondering what are they here for? What are they trying to tell me has been hugely beneficial because in this society, we really get, um, rewarded when we talk about joy and happiness and creativity and flow and like all of these wonderful things. And like, yes, we should be feeling happy, but we should be feeling everything too, as well. It's not, it doesn't just start and end at happy. Happy is not the only worthy feeling. And so if we can kind of just normalize the fact that there are plenty of core emotions, they all should have a seat at the table. And once they're there, like, let's be present with them for a minute and find out why they're there. Cause they're not there for no reason. Right. Right. And, you know, we can talk a little bit about emotional eating because that is really your body's way of trying to tell you that something is wrong and you are using food or alcohol or, you know, whatever your, you know, quote unquote drug of choice is, um, to numb, to escape, to not feel the feeling that you don't want to feel. But if you are like, it's there, like you said, Katie, for a reason mm -hmm. and you can't avoid it. And yes, I'm all about the you know, kind of surface level techniques, go for a walk, call a friend, you know, drink a cup of tea. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, those are kind of band-aids as well, because it's most likely not getting to the root of what the issue really is. What's your experience about that? Kim, I was going to ask you if that's that actual question too. Like, do you feel like you, with yourself and with the people you coach, are there times when there just really isn't a root and like the sort of the band-aid things that Marcy and I have certainly made plenty of posts on this as well. That's really all you need to bridge you from like week one to week 12 of a deficit and lose the weight. And then you're off and you're okay. Do you find that there are people that really need support beyond that in the process as well? Oh, yeah. Like the, it can run the gamut. Sometimes, you know, if we're talking specifically about emotional eating, sometimes people just need to do these other things, right? They've just, they've just developed a habit of like, when I feel something uncomfortable, I eat. And so being coming aware of that and working through a process to not do that and make something else be the habit is enough. And they're just like, oh, like that's what it was for other people. Like the, to get to the, cause one of the things we, we use emotional eating for is to not deal with the thing that needs to be dealt with. And sometimes dealing with that thing is bigger than just like noticing it. it's not like, oh, like I'm overscheduled or something. I can work on that. Sometimes the thing that needs to be dealt with is something that they're going to need help dealing with and not by me, not with, you know, a fitness coach, but they need help, um, from, you know, somebody who is a specialist in mental health to help them deal with. So yeah, and it can run the gamut. So not everybody who emotionally eats needs like counseling or therapy. They don't, but some people do. Right. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I feel like even something that seems very kind of innocent or again, mm -hmm. surface level, like I'm overscheduled. Okay. But what is the underlying reason why you are overscheduled? Is it because you're a people pleaser? Is it because you gain your self-worth from being overscheduled. So those I think are really the emotions or the thoughts mm -hmm. that we need to address in mm -hmm. order for the, the coping mechanism to be eradicated completely. 
100%. I agree with that. And I, those are the kinds of things like I do work through those things with my clients. You know, I've had clients and it sometimes, and it just becomes really clear when they need help outside of a coach versus a mental health help. Yeah. But yeah. So let's, let's transition. Let's transition to talk about therapy because Kim, you said that you have been in therapy multiple times. Mm-hmm. Katie, uh, have you been in therapy? I was in therapy as a child there, as I mentioned, there was some, it wasn't, um, trauma the same way. A lot of other children experienced trauma. There was no, there was no abuse. There was no real, um, obvious pain. There was a lot of scarcity issues in my childhood that had nothing to do with things like food or comfort, or it it was more like parents who were, um, stretched very thin in terms of their emotions and their, their ability to, um, handle our emotions. And, and I have written before how I felt like when I was a child, I had these great big emotions that the world just couldn't hold that if I were to share them or talk about them, something bad would happen. There just wasn't any space for the way I was feeling about things. And these were not, I could not articulate this as a child. I can look back now and kind of see it. Um, and so, you know, we were trying to sort of manage our family. And so we would go to therapy as, as, as a kid. And for me, it was just a huge embarrassment. It was like, Oh my God, like, please don't let anyone see me in this office. Like it did. I don't know if it did anything for me or my family during those years, because I was just so aghast at the idea, uh, you know, at, at that age, um, that I might be seen getting therapy with my family. And then I, in, high school and college had some more experiences with therapists. My parents really believe in therapy and they think that, you know, it's important to talk about things, but I wasn't really ready to dive in or to understand or to release what I was holding onto in those sessions. I was too busy trying to show up as, uh, as this perfect candidate for therapy, where I would go in and say exactly what I knew the doctor wanted me to say. So it looked like I was like getting an A in therapy. Like I'm using air quotes for that. I was just so committed to being successful in whatever I was doing. I even cut those corners to make it look like I was doing therapy. Right. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I went to therapy for the first time when I was either 16 or 17. And this is almost embarrassing to admit the reason I went to therapy is because my high school boyfriend was going off to college. (laughs) Like I was so devastated by it Mm -hmm. because we had been together. We got together when I was a sophomore and he was a junior and he was just the love of my life. I Mm -hmm. thought the world of him and we had a very strong connection and yeah, he decided that he was going to go to Arizona state, which was the party school. And he was going to be in a fraternity and all this. And I just had these visions of him, you know, meeting this hot blonde and not wanting to be with me anymore. And I, it like was all consuming. So my mom sent me to therapy Mm -hmm. and I will never forget this. It was a male therapist and he was your quintessential male therapist. Like if you have a vision of someone in your mind, like that would be him. And I was telling him what was going on. And he looks at me and he goes, wow, sounds like you've got a lot on your plate. I was like, that's it. That's all you're going to give me. (laughs) And like, that was literally it. Um, I mean, I know that I was talking to him about why I was there. And then that was kind of like the end of things. And I never went back. So I was like, this guy has no, he's not going to be able to help me looking back now that I have done so much of the inner work and not through actual therapy, but just through other mechanisms. I even like going through Casey Joe's mindset certification. I know that that was a form of what's called reflective listening. So it's basically telling that person like, okay, I hear you, I see you so that they feel more like their emotions are being validated. But I was like, come on, man, like, give me some tools. <laughs> like, how am yeah. I going to deal with this? Yes. Uh, yeah. I didn't go back to therapy until after my divorce or before my divorce, you know, we went to couples counseling very briefly and then ended up separating. I continued to go to her for a little bit. She wasn't a good fit. I went to two other people afterwards. They were not a good fit. And again, now that I know better, I'm like, oh, I see what you were doing there. But in the moment, it just felt like I, I wasn't being validated or I wasn't getting the support that I really needed to move forward. So I was like, I'm done with this. 
and then kind of, you know, sought out alternative methods of healing. And uh, those were very helpful, but I actually decided to start therapy again recently. And I had my first session last week. I found my now therapist through a podcast. It's almost like divine timing, right? And it's a podcast that I don't listen to very often, but he was on there as a guest. And I just really liked what he had to say. I loved his energy. I felt like he is very, you know, modernized, so to speak. So he was sharing- Who was that, Mars? Uh, his name is Craig Smith. So if you guys have been watching my stories, I'm using a new journal. It's called the Focus Journal. And that is the guy that I'm working with. So I actually get to do it, um, you know, online. So he's in Utah and yeah, he's amazing. But, you know, from the first session, it's like, okay, here's what I want you to do for the next session, which I really Mm -hmm. like because you can, it feels good to talk. And really the whole reason I decided to go to him is because I just felt like I wanted a sounding board. Nothing is actually wrong. I feel better than I have in a very long time. I have the tools to get through a lot of my, you know, emotions that I might be struggling with, but I just, yeah, I wanted someone just to be able to talk to, because, you know, if you're with family, if you're with friends and maybe there's something that you are trying to work through, you don't just want to like always be emotionally dumping on those people and like only focusing on the negative. And Mm -hmm. I know certainly I have had friends like that. And it's like, when you get together, that's all they talk about. And you're just drained and exhausted by the end of the conversation. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be that person to somebody So, and I think there's a time and a place for it. Like, I mean, definitely having intimate relationships where you can talk about all that stuff is really important. And I know I've had those conversations with both of you and it allows you to feel more connected to that person, but you don't want it to be the only topic of conversation is like the hard stuff. So yeah, I'm just like, I kind of want someone to talk about all that with and, um, yeah, it's been great so far. So and get I, tools. Like that's the tools. really, that's what I did not get when I was in therapy. I got no tools. And I spent the last two years learning about those tools, acquiring them and practicing them. And that's what's made the difference for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. How, how have you done that, Katie? So basically I've determined that everything comes back to fi- to getting into the present, to getting out of a more activated fight or flight state of mind and, and finding some calm and some peace. And it's easier said than done, right? Because it's not easy when you're in that moment of whatever, maybe you're like mid binge in the pantry or you're having a physical panic attack to just like step out of yourself and be like, okay, calm the hell down, right? It doesn't work that way. So there are a couple things that I do in terms of a daily practice, which is just sort of helping me foundationally. And then a couple of things I use if I feel something acute coming on. And so daily it's meditation and, and nobody likes to hear this because meditation is I'm bringing unsexy back. Okay. It's super unsexy. It's, it sounds kind of boring. Um, but it's actually incredibly, it's, it, it's like building foundational strength. You cannot put anything else on top of, um, any other tools on top of that uh, uh, without having some foundational strength and meditation what does your that. meditation look like it is daily in the morning. As soon as my, my alarm goes off and I ha- or I wake up on my own usually, and I pop over to insight timer and I've got a whole playlist of meditations that are my favorites that I choose from. And I take about 10 minutes to do a guided meditation in bed, lying down earbuds in my husband's still next to me. The dogs are still snoring. That's when I do it. That's how I start my day. That's mm-hmm. every day. And if something is acute is going on or maybe before meals or before, if I'm feeling anxiety build, uh, I will, I will do breath work. I will do a simple four by four breath work practice where it's a four second inhale, a four second exhale four times, which is 32 seconds of breathing. That's all it is. And we know it's proven that actually changes the brain and blood chemistry. When you can just center yourself breathing, it will override things. So when you are taking these breaths, you are thinking about nothing but focusing on the breath. Where is it in your body? Is it in your chest? Is it in your belly? When you're exhaling, are you feeling it, you know, on that little triangle underneath your nose? You're not thinking about the issues that are popping up. You are taking those four seconds in, those four seconds out times four to just think about breath. And that's helped me a lot. That's one of my greatest tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I started doing meditate. I mean, I've meditated off and on for years now, and would be really consistent about it, and then fall off. So in the beginning of the pandemic, I came across something called Ziva meditation, and I actually decided to take the course 
and it is two times a day meditation, 17 minutes each. Mm-hmm. And there's a three-part wow, process. That's a to big it. commitment. It, oh, it was, it was big commitment. I was so, mm-hmm. I was so proud of myself for doing it for, I, I committed to it for probably, I don't know, four months, maybe, maybe longer. Yeah. Every day, twice a day. And then, and I, I mean, I felt maybe some benefits, I guess, but then I ended up and you're supposed to do it first thing in the morning before you've done anything. So no stimulation, no coffee, like you can brush your teeth and drink water, but you know, before you've looked at your phone, anything like that. So, um, I would do it first thing in the morning. And then I would do it again around six o'clock in the evening when I was wrapping up my work day. And after that I would go for my walk. So that was kind of my habit stack was to do the second meditation, go for my walk. And that immediately made me feel very peaceful and grounded. And then for whatever reason, I I think work just got really busy. And so I was having to push my workouts off until the evening and I was going around six or six 30. So it was right when I was doing my meditation. So I broke that habit and then it was like, oh, well it kind of fixed mindset or uh, all or nothing thinking, well, I can't do it or I'm not doing it twice a day now. So may as well stop doing it altogether. And yeah, I got out of the habit and then occasionally I would bring back the insight timer. I know we talked about that a couple episodes again, Katie Ergo, uh, how we both really like Sarah Blondin mm-hmm. and some of the, so yeah, insight timer is wonderful. If you don't know where to start with meditation, yeah. it's a good way to get your feet wet. Uh, and then I have been part of this program now it's called the next level experience for, I think this is going on week six. So it's just a, a group program to clear out your emotional baggage, let go of your limiting beliefs, build better habits. It is rooted somewhat in the 12 step process because Brad Jensen, who is on Instagram, the sober bodybuilder, it is his program that he created with another husband and wife and Um, He allowed me to be a part of it this round because we kind of have ties in both doing this work with um, AA. So I, a lot of the work that we've been doing in it, like is not new to me, but one of the reasons why I wanted to be a part of this round is because they introduced something called heart math, uh, which is essentially, it is meditation, but it is trying to develop heart and brain coherence. So They send you this little heart rate monitor, which you clip on your ear, and then you open up the app. And Mm -hmm. I listen to the 428 Hertz music. Um, I don't know Mm -hmm. if you're, yeah. And it's just, it's very like calming music. And I focus on my breath while at the same time, trying to think or feel an elevated emotion. So with this, it's like, you're trying to breathe through your heart five seconds in five seconds out, and then think of something that you are grateful for something that brings you joy, anything like that. And you try to stay in that coherent state the Mm -hmm. entire time. And again, sometimes my thoughts drift and then you bring them back. Like that is what meditation is. It's teaching Mm -hmm. you how to not react to those thoughts, but I'm really enjoying it. And I was saying this on the call last week. I was like, I feel like this is the easiest that meditation has ever been for me because I am making an effort one to focus on my heart. So like visualize that, but then also think about something good. So my thoughts don't drift quite as much. And then you have this app and you can see like what your coherence score actually was and your heart rate variability. So what it's showing you is that you have the power to control your heart rate and your mind, um, just with thought and breath alone. So mm-hmm. it's fascinating. So I've gotten back into the habit of that. And it's funny because I've been listening to this podcast. It's called the Huberman lab. And this man is a freaking genius. He is a researcher and a professor at Stanford. And most of his podcasts go way over my head, but I was listening to one the other day uh, where he was talking about meditation. It was about ADD or ADHD, which I do think I have. And he was saying that there has been research done that 17 minutes of meditation can be very helpful with uh, ADHD. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because my Ziva meditation was 17 minutes long. So now I'm trying to do this uh, heart brain coherence, heart math thing for 17 minutes. And I do notice the benefits for sure. And then after that, I do my journaling. Everyone sees me journaling. So that's just gratitude some affirmations, um, you know, celebrating my wins, some other things 
when I really feel like I need it, the emotional release writing. So getting out everything that is weighing on me, whether that's, you know, an issue with somebody else or those negative thoughts or feelings that I have about myself, just getting it out, creating the space for better thoughts and feelings to come in. Um, and then I think also walking, like moving your body, like getting those emotions out mm-hmm. is really helpful. So those are my go-tos. What Do you, you th- oh, so oh, one. No, 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 go ahead, Kim. Uh, I, I was just going to say, guys, we're coming up on an hour. <laughs> well, so- I, can I, I would say, I would add one thing that I would want to note for someone just beginning these practices, because I feel like when someone starts to do this type of work, there's often a period when something that feels like complacency arrives, especially for high performers or high achievers that are always used to that constant feedback loop, that dopamine hit of like another workout, another box checked. And like friends, this is a slow burn. And this is really a way to move from motivators that are sourced maybe externally or from feelings of like guilt or fear or shame into a place where you can be motivated by something entirely different, like joy or self-love or creativity. And, and like, it will be even more rewarding than anything, any of the, the former emotions that maybe have something of a toxic residue. And, but I just think it's more, it's really important to note that these things don't happen overnight. This they, it's called a practice for a reason. And so if you're, you know, just like with anything, you know, we, we all say, you know, 30 day cuts or two week fasts, like they don't work for a reason. And this is no exception. So don't, don't be nervous about that. Right. And also find, you know, find what works for you. So just because Katie and I enjoy meditation or I love journaling, it doesn't mean that that's going to be the thing that helps you. So there are many tools that you can use to work on your mindset, to work on your mental health. You know, maybe, you know, like Kim was saying, like you do need therapy, maybe you do need to take medication. Um, but you know, maybe start with some of the other things. And then if that is not, you don't feel supported by that. It's not enough. Then you can choose to, to take another course of action. Mm -hmm. I love that all in the continuum. Yeah, absolutely. Is that it? Well, we could continue this conversation for a really long time, but I think, uh, I think it's been a long time. So, so I think it should be. (laughs) I could, yeah, I could talk forever. Um, okay. Well, that being said, just know that you are not alone. So if you are struggling with any type of mental health issue, don't hesitate to reach out to somebody because, um, you know, oftentimes if you are able to share what you are going through, um, you know, you don't have to feel ashamed by it. It is going to make you feel better. And then you never know how you can help somebody else. Because oftentimes when we share what we are going through. We're met with like, oh yeah, me too. I thought I was the only one. Mm-hmm. And when we can do that collectively, you know, the whole, everyone starts to heal, which is really important. Absolutely. So, all right. Beautifully well, stated, Marcy. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Decades of Strength podcast. If you liked this, if it was helpful for you, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review wherever you're listening. It really does help our work get in front of more people. Thanks so much for being here with you and we'll see you again next week.